presence today. Amen. You may be seated. So some of you might be a little unfamiliar with me. My name is Pastor Taryn Ramsey. It's T-E-R-R-I-N, not Sharon or Terry or Karen or anything else you can think of. It's a different name. Um, I've been here for just under a year, and I've managed to get away with not having to preach for that long. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I really don't enjoy getting up in front of people. I like doing the behind-the-scenes stuff. Some of you might recognize me from like the shoulders up or from the side because I sit at that piano most of the time, and I really like it over there because it's kind of behind something and a little bit hidden. So I'm out of my element today. So I thought I'd uh, start off by telling you a little bit about myself. I've been a pastor here, like I said, since about September last year. Really love my job, love it here. Um, In 2006, I started an eight-month internship here. Uh, As part of my Bible college training, I had to go out to a church for a few months and I uh, know the Perrons from when I was very young. They lived down the street from me in Verdon when they used to live there. And I was here visiting them, and I begged Dennis to let me come here and work here. And he agreed and mentored me and molded me into everything that I am today. So if you don't like me, go talk to Dennis. (laughs) He's a good guy, seriously. Um, Yeah, so I uh, really like my job here. Uh, Another part of my life is my husband, Brett. Last year during, uh, or I guess in 2007, or is that last year? Yeah, that's last year. I was finishing up my last semester of Bible college, and I felt God really calling me back here. This church just seemed to fit, like the Cinderella story, the shoe really fit. I love my job. I love the people I was working with, and I really felt God calling me to come back here to minister. And so I called Dennis up again and begged him for another job. And luckily enough, him and Pastor Allen said yes. And uh, amongst all that drama, Brett asked me to marry him. And I said, well, if you'll move to Winnipeg with me. And he said yes. So last August 11th, we got married. And a week and a half later, we were moving into our house a few blocks from here. And we've been ministering ever since. So uh, now when people ask me what's new, I can tell them how busy I am. If you want to be a pastor... You really have to love your job because you spend a lot of time here. You spend, uh, you put a lot of energy into it and sometimes it's frustrating and sometimes you don't see results right away, but, uh, I do do a lot around here. I love my job to pieces. Um, I put up the website. I do a lot of the visual stuff here. Dennis and I are both still very involved in youth ministry. I took on summer Sunday school. I'm involved in music ministry. And if you call during the week and happen to catch somebody, uh, the person on the other end of the phone isn't the secretary. That's probably me. So <laughs> when I tell people how busy I am, and especially people like from back home, they're like, oh, my gosh, you're so busy. They're overworking you. But really, this job is better than anything I could ask for. All of you should become pastors. It's amazing. It's really, seriously, it is. And uh, so my first day here, I remember it really clearly because I had to clean up my office. It was being used for the drop-in center, which we're doing this summer, by the way. And uh, back there is our new summer intern. I have my own intern this year. Her name's Calandra. 
Dennis's daughter has it happens to be. And uh, she's doing summer drop-in this summer, and it's been a blast having her on staff too. But anyway, my first day, I had to steam clean the carpets because there was pop and coffee, and somehow the interns last summer had managed to get coffee on the walls. and So I had to empty the whole thing out, and I was steam cleaning the carpets, and uh, I remember this moment really, really well because it was just so like surreal for me that I had a, a dirty cloth in one hand and a spray bottle full of Tim's concoction of some sort to clean the walls with, and I just remember thinking, "Wow, this God is so good." And I know that sounds strange when you have a dirty rag in one hand and and a spray bottle in the other, but God is really just so good that He would you know, make every wish of mine come true and that I would get to come back here and to minister. And, and I just thoroughly enjoy my job and I, uh, I just can't wait to see what else God has in store. So, um, oh, I just wanted also to mention that uh, I love the Duncalfs. They're a great family and they always are encouraging me and telling me how uh, good a job I'm doing and and uh, because they're away, I get to talk about them, and they can't stop me from saying anything. So if you see them when they come back, just let them know how much you love them and uh, and how much I love them, because they are really amazing people. And you guys are lucky. You probably have one of the best pastors in Winnipeg, so. and one of the best speakers, too. He doesn't get as nervous as I do. So anyway, um, last week, Pastor Allen kicked off our summer sermon series. And I came up with the summer sermon series because I thought it was fun to say. Uh, the Young and the Reckless. Uh, for the rest of the summer, we'll be discussing young people in the Bible who decided that they're not going to let their young age hold them back. They decided to serve God despite the fact that it would make them unpopular, even if it meant certain death. They had little care and concern for the opinions of others and even their own lives. They're reckless for God. And that's what we're hoping this summer will bring for you. Are you going to be young and reckless for God? Uh, last week learned about Abel, the first man on earth who wanted to please God more than himself. He gave his very best to God. He did the hard thing, despite the fact that it made, it made his brother Cain so angry that he murdered him. Uh, if you'll bear with me for the summer or for a moment, um, this sermon series, The Young and the Reckless, that little uh, thing I designed up there too, by the way, just so I can brag. <laughs> it's not for 18 and under only or under 30 or young marrieds or young marrieds with kids. This is for everybody in the room. Uh, young doesn't necessarily mean age. Young means what's in here. Reckless doesn't necessarily mean irresponsible. It means just not worrying about what, what you're concerned about or what your friends are going to think or what your wife's going to think or what your husband's going to think. Um, Pastor Alan mentioned last week that he bought a book back for me for one of his conferences. It's called Do Hard Things, and I've actually got it up there too, if you can't see it. Uh, it's book a book written by teenage brothers Alex and Brett Harris. These boys understand and recognize that teenagers today are literally wasting those years being lazy. And how many of you know that? Teenagers get to sleep in, they have it easy, schoolwork's not too hard. You know, find a girlfriend, flirt with people on the internet, go on Facebook 50 times a day. If you don't know what Facebook is, you just aged yourself. <laughs> anyway, uh, they're being lazy, unfocused, and they're setting themselves up to live lives that are materialistic and focused on themselves. They rec- the writers of the book recognize the low expectations that are now placed on young people, so low that a clean room or a made bed is now astonish- an astonishing feat for some. For some of our youth, waking up before noon in the summer is 
quite an accomplishment. And we all know that. Alex and Brett address all of these low expectations and counter with a challenge. Serve God now. This book will challenge your kids to rebel against what the world thinks is acceptable for lazy teenagers. I'd highly recommend you buy this book. You can get it at any bookstore in Winnipeg. It's only, I think it's only 10 or 15 bucks. I'm only about a third of the way through because I'm a slow reader and I don't have a lot of time on my hands. But so far I've just been really impressed with it and plan on buying a box of it and giving it to the youth and getting their hands on this book no matter what. Um, there's about 10 pages at the beginning of the book written by young people, old people, and uh, just about everybody else in between about recommending this book to, to get for your kids. So I just thought I'd uh, share with you a few of them. Do Hard Things is easy to read, but it will challenge you to the core. It is inspiring, insightful, and practical. Parents, this book will get your teens into the right kind of trouble, the, the kind that comes when they dream, take risks for God, and dare flout the status quo. Put it in their hands. Read it yourself. It's never too late to do hard things. Another person says, This book is a refreshing wake-up call to our generation. We can do hard things and give ourselves something huge for the kingdom of God. This book will create a distinct distaste in your soul for living an easy and comfortable life. I pray that God will use this book to inspire many young people and the old alike to do hard things by God's grace for the glory of his name. Alex and Brett capture the passion and potential of our generation perfectly in this book. In Do Hard Things, they encourage us to go above and beyond the status quo and everything from schoolwork to serving the poor. This is truly a unique and sorely needed book. You see, the book captures exactly what we're hoping to get across this summer. We want this, we want you guys to be young and reckless. We want you to do hard things. It's, uh, it's available anywhere, like I said. Just go pick it up and become someone who does hard things. Um, <clears throat> the dictionary defines the term reckless as meaning to be utterly unconcerned about the consequences of some action. What we're talking about when we use the term young and reckless is a state of mind where you recognize your calling to be all that God has called you to be. God is calling each and every one of you to be all that he's called you to be, not just part of it. Being young and reckless is more than just showing up on Sunday morning to be served. The church in North America has fooled us into thinking that it's all about me. I want the best parking spot. I want the best seat in church near the back, of course. I want to hear good music. I need to have a good program for my kids. My teenagers need to be entertained on Friday night. Me, 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 I, I, I. In fact, this is quite the opposite of what we mean by being young and reckless. Too many of us have fallen into the suburban life of comfort that caters only to us. If you've been listening closely to Pastor Allen and Dennis and Marilyn and just about anybody else that's gotten up here over the years, you know that this church is not about you and your needs. This church that caters to me is is not what the church is according to scripture. You're here to serve, and if you're just sitting there every Sunday warming the seat and only listening without acting on what you've heard, you're disobeying what the scriptures say. We are not called to be seat warmers. We're called to serve. Yeah. Now the problem with this is that it's so easy just to sit there. It's easy to let someone else sign up first. It's easy to watch someone struggle uh, instead of offering them help. It's easy to do the easy thing. It's easy to be the seat warmer. Let me remind you that last week we were told that it's up to us as Christians to do the hard thing. 
It's up to us to do it now before we have a problem on our hands. It's up to us to do the unpopular thing, even though it might cost us our reputation. It's up to us, because if we don't do it, no one else will. According to the Bible, all of us were put here for a reason. Even the most mundane details of our lives have been carefully planned out and should be used to serve God. This week's young and reckless character of the Bible is Esther. Uh, the Bible doesn't really mention women that often unless they were really evil or really spectacular. So imagine how spectacular Eve must be if she gets a whole, or, sorry, not Eve, Esther, if she gets a whole book devoted entirely to her. Uh, the book's only about ten chapters long, and there's a lot of confusing traditional feasts and stuff like that in there. But I encourage you to read it because it's a good story. Uh, it's it's a good story to show you how God uses little details in Esther's life to save the entire nation of Israel. The message God wants to give us in this story is simply this. God has put you exactly where you are for a reason. Listen carefully for his call and seize the opportunity. So here are the facts of the story. Uh, Esther was the queen of Persia. Uh, Esther was a Jewish woman, and she was surprised, as surprised as anyone when the king of Persia selected her after a beauty contest to become queen. She was shocked, stunned, and surprised to find herself as the queen. But there she was, queen of Persia. Imagine also the surprise of Mordecai, her cousin, actually her foster father, the man who had raised her. He had taken care of her and nurtured her and loved her. But Mordecai, who was a devout Jew, refused to bow down to King Ahasuerus and went to the king's right-hand man, Haman. Haman went to the king and demanded that not only Mordecai be executed, but that all Jews should be killed. The king sent out an edict that all Jews would be killed. Mordecai, unable to communicate with Esther in person, sends a note to her urging that she go to the king and intervene on his behalf and on the behalf of all Jewish people. But Esther, fearing what the king might do, sends a note back to Mordecai explaining that if you make an appointment to see the king when the king is not summon you, the king can execute you. Mordecai responds in chapter 414, Esther, if you keep silent at such a time as this, who are we going to count on? Who are the Jewish people going to look to if you're silent? Then he added this line, maybe Esther, maybe you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther put exactly where, God put Esther exactly where she was for a reason. Mordecai was begging with her to listen to God and seize the opportunity. Queen Esther was a woman of courage and she went to the king. Miraculously, the king agreed with her. Mordecai was saved and Haman, the man who made the gallows for Mordecai, was hung on those very gallows. All the Jewish people were free. Do you know what's so interesting about the book of Esther is that God's name isn't mentioned at all in the book. Uh, it's actually a really fabulous story. Um, but you might ask yourself, where was God? Uh, God is actually throughout the pages, his thoughts, his actions, his fingerprints. Esther was a Jew and she was obviously very devout and, and as was her cousin Mordecai. Um, so God's name isn't mentioned there, but it's just a small, semi-interesting fact that shouldn't get in the way of God's plan and uh, action in this story. When Mordecai says, maybe Esther, maybe you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this, the word time has a different meaning than we understand as time. There are two words in the Greek language for time. Uh, one word is chronos, and the other one is kairos. Chronos is ordered, measured, structured time, from which we get the words chronology and chronological. For example, if someone asks, what time is it? They're only asking for chronological time. So 
if an example would be, well, it's quarter after 11. But kairos is something very different. Kairos is the right or opportune moment. Kairos is not just the humanly ordered time. Kairos is God's time. Time that stands still as if everything you've ever done in your life has been preparing you for this decisive moment. And the door opens, and now you're ready to walk through it. Have you ever had such a time in your life? That's a kairos moment. A moment when God gets up everything ready, and now you're prepared to take the new step. Now, the story, in the story of Esther, I've already mentioned the point. God is there for a reason. She just needed to listen and seize the opportunity. As all great stories, you can flip this lesson around and apply it to your life, because that's what we do here every Sunday morning, right? We tell you a Bible story, and then we say, well, this is how it applies to you. So here are some good points, I think, that you can find in this story and apply for your life. First, God has placed you where you are for a reason. Uh, for example, God placed me where I am for a reason. He He used my relationship with Dennis and Shauna and Felicia and the other two, Calandra and Gloria. <laughs> Uh, to get a job here, uh, God placed my husband in a job that was easily transportable because he knew that we'd be needing to move from Brandon to Winnipeg, so he made that an easy transition for us. God knew in 1998 when I met Felicia, when I was only 14 years old, that God would use our relationship to fulfill his plan. God knew it was a Kairos moment 10 years ago. I didn't know that 10 years ago. I'd be here with them ministering and enjoying my job. Uh, I should point out that Esther was where she was because God put her there. God used a tiny little detail in her life. She was good looking. Some might say she's hot. She was queen because she was hot. That's the only reason that, that she became queen. And, uh, interestingly enough, she was a Jewish lady and she was able to save her entire nation because of that one tiny detail in her life. So let me ask you, what are those small details in your life that that God can use? Are you friendly? Maybe you need to become an usher. Do you like driving? Maybe you need to get your class four license and drive kids to Sunday school or to kids club. Do you like playing video games? Maybe you can come help us out at drop-in a couple times a week. Do you like coffee? Maybe you can go work in the cafe. Do you like playing bass? We could use another bass player. God uses those small things in your life. You you don't have little hobbies and habits by mistake. God can use every single detail of your life for his purpose and to glorify himself. Um, What do you have that you could use to serve God with? Esther wasn't smart or particularly charming. She was hot. That's the only reason she became queen. Maybe you're good looking. We need some good look, good looking people here. Maybe you can go out in the parking lot and greet everyone and we can attract more good looking people. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, the second thing I need to point out to you today is that you need to listen very carefully for your opportunity. Esther was so busy of being afraid of that the king might uh, kill her because he hadn't summoned her, that she was going to miss out on the opportunity. But luckily enough, her cousin, Mordecai, and I guess uh, in modern terms, because he was Jewish, his name might be Morty or something. Um, if it hadn't been for him, who pointed out the opportunity, the entire Jewish nation could have been wiped out. 
But he reminded her that this was her opportunity. Perhaps this is what God was up to when he created her to be such a beautiful person. How many times has God dropped an opportunity into your lap only for you to miss out on it because you're not listening? A lot of us uh, know the, the phrase, hindsight is twenty twenty. This very statement means that looking back on things, we see what we missed or what could have been, opportunities that we passed up. We need to start listening more carefully. Sometimes God places all the ingredients for an opportunity right in front of us. It's up to us to listen up and piece the puzzle together. So let me ask you this question. What is sitting in front of you right now? What has God placed before you? What situation are you in right now that could, po- that could possibly be an opportunity for you to use? Here's a story of a family who saw the pieces and placed them together. Because of their willingness to look on the big picture, they're changing the world. This is the Salwin family. They're from Atlanta. One day while driving with her father, Hannah, that's the teenage girl in the picture, saw a homeless man sitting on the curb. She said to her dad, If that guy didn't have such a nice car, then the guy over there could have a nice meal. And so began the tale of what the Salwin family calls Hannah's lunchbox. It started as family discussions about what they needed versus what was enough. Hannah's father, Kevin, an entrepreneur, is on the board of Atlanta Habitat for Humanity and is no stranger to community work. But he said this family conversation was life-changing. We just stopped and paused about what we are here, or about what are the things in the world that we could really do to make a difference. A little bit of difference in this world. They talked about selling their cars or other things, but it was Hannah's mother, Joan, who came up with selling their 6,500 square foot house, donating half the proceeds and then moving into a house half the size. For nine years, the family lived in a historic 1912 mansion near downtown Atlanta. It boasts five bedrooms, eight fireplaces, a kitchen that would make any cook jealous, and even an elevator. Like most teens, Hannah loves to shop. She jammed every space of her massive walk-in closet full of clothes. But she also knows many people who are less fortunate. She volunteers at a local community food bank and other relief agencies. So the Sowans put the house up for sale in May 2007 and started figuring out what they would do with half the proceeds, which would amount to more than $800,000. They spent six months researching charity options before deciding on the Hunger Project, an organization dedicated to helping end world hunger through people helping themselves. When the Sowan house sells, the money will be channeled through the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta over a six-year period and end up in Ghana. This will underwrite a process in more than 30 villages to enable people to meet all their basic needs on a sustainable sustainable basis. They will be able to grow enough food, build clinics and schools, and the villagers will be doing the lion's share of the work. Hannah's awakening to social injustice and her family's ability to make a difference in the issue will make a profound difference in the lives of tens of thousands of people. This Rough estimates say that money could affect more than 20,000 people, all because one family decided to sell their house and give away half the proceeds. We didn't do it for the fame or the glory, said Joan, the mother of the family. This was something Hannah sort of yanked us into. We as Americans have so much. We love the concept of half. We're going from a house that's 6,000 square feet to a house that's half its size, and we're giving away half the money. And we do think that everyone can do something if they think through half. So let me ask you again. What are some of the things in your life that can be used to make a difference? 
Perhaps God is calling you, much like the Samhain family, to live on less and give to needier people. Perhaps God's calling you to give more of your time. Perhaps a family member is going through something and you can help. It's time you listen carefully. The third thing I need to point out to you today is to seize that opportunity. No matter how much God places in front of us, the final step is up to us. We need to obey. Esther had been placed in Persia as queen by God. The opportunity was pointed out to her by her cousin Mordecai. Everything was lining up according to God's plan. The final step, however, was entirely up to Esther. She could choose to do nothing and have the entire nation of Israel, including herself, wiped out. Or she could be selfless, risk her life, talk to the king. How much of this is true in our lives? We pray that God things will place things in front of us. Things might line up, but we don't take that final step. We pray that we'll have a better relationship with our family, with our spouse, our children, our co-workers. We pray that we have a better relationship with God. In fact, some of you at the beginning of January maybe prayed that very prayer. Maybe you thought you'd ask God to help you spend more time with your wife or your husband or your kids. And here you're sitting here in the middle of July wondering, why didn't those prayers get answered? Could be perhaps they were answered, but you didn't take that final step and seize the opportunity. The problem with us as North Americans is that we prefer the easy route. It's not scriptural. God is challenging us to be young and reckless Christians who do the hard thing. He's challenging us to seize every opportunity that we can and use it to its fullest potential. This doesn't sit well with us because we like the easy thing. In fact, this might not be sitting well with you right now, and I might get some nasty phone calls this week or emails, but this is what the scripture says. And if we want to just continue living easy lives, then what, what do we have in store for us? If we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got. John fourteen twenty three says it pretty clearly. If we love God, we will obey him. Sometimes obeying is taking that last step. One thing that you should know about being a young and reckless person is that we don't let opportunities pass as we sit by. A person who is young and reckless will do anything to get their hands on that opportunity, reach its fullest potential, and then seize the next one. In my family, there's five of us. I'm number four. Uh, my brother, who is one older than me, number three, he's a person who seizes opportunities. Uh, he maybe doesn't have the best motivation behind them, but uh, when he was 18 years old, he sold his prized first guitar to my dad for a tank of gas so he could go see his girlfriend. <laughs> you know, it's not the most biblical of pursuits, but he saw that opportunity in front of him, and he did whatever it took to seize it. Uh, this year is another example for my brother, number three. Uh, he's had an opportunity to record an album in California with his favorite producer, Sylvia Massey, who has done some of his favorite albums, and he was really excited to go, but it was going to cost him, you know, seven or eight thousand dollars to get down there and pay the studio fees. He sold just about everything he had. He sold his car and borrowed another one to drive down there. He did extra work on the size. On the side, he did everything he could so he wouldn't miss out on that opportunity. He seized it. He didn't sit there and think, well, if it happens, it happens. No, he made it happen. 
And that's the attitude we need to take when we have opportunities to serve God that are right in front of us. We don't just sit there and go, well, if nobody else wants to do it, I'll do it. No, we sit there and we make sure it happens. In conclusion this morning, it's very important that you ask yourself some questions. We simply can't just go on being pew warmers because now you've been told. So you can't go to heaven and go, well, I didn't know. Now you've been told. Now it's time to get out there. We can't act as though there's, we don't know that this is what we're supposed to do. Your brain is going to try and trick you into thinking that if you can just slip through the cracks and you know nobody notices that I'm not doing something, then maybe God won't notice either. Life isn't supposed to be fun. Life is supposed to be fun and easy, right? According to North America. Wrong. God is calling us to do the hard thing. God is calling us to stop wasting our lives and get excited about them. It's time that we get young and reckless. It's never too late for you to do something awesome for God. Maybe you're sitting there going, well, I'm not really that young anymore and I've kind of ripened and maybe I'm starting to rot a little bit. It's not true. I didn't say it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not true. Christians don't rot after we've reached a certain age or after we've served so much and now we can just sit back and kind of enjoy it. Even the oldest people can be young and reckless for God. Last, me- last week, Pastor Allen has mentioned, and he's mentioned them many times before the uh, Ernie and Mary Krieger who are in their 90s. He says they're the youngest people he knows because... In their old age, they decided that they wanted to do something awesome for God, and they figured that the best way to do that was to put a website up, and now they're up in the middle of the night emailing people and, and telling, spreading the gospel and sharing the good news. It's time for us to serve. It's time for us to be young at heart like they are. We need to get it out of our heads that we come to church to be entertained and then go home and live our comfortable life. God isn't necessarily calling each of us to sell our house and give half. He's not calling us to give up our jobs and go to Africa or or anything like that. Sometimes God is just calling us to use the little details in our lives and seize those opportunities that he's put in front of us. If we look at the story of Esther, let me remind you again, we only need to do these three things. Recognize that God has placed us here for a reason. The church doesn't exist as some Christian country club. We're not here to form cliques or have free daycare on Sunday mornings. We're not here as a concert hall or even a motivational speakers conference. If we're just sitting in that chair every week and not acting on what we hear, we're missing out on the entire point of Christianity. Matthew 28:19 doesn't say, go form a country club and a gated community and don't let anybody in. It says, go out there and make disciples. Share the good news. You're here for a reason, and if you think otherwise, you're gravely mistaken. Secondly, let me remind you that you need to listen closely for that opportunity. You've sometimes been duped by other Christians and churches in thinking that God only speaks to us when he wants us to do something drastic. In Bible college, we always had this going joke that God only spoke to us when he wanted us to go to Africa. And it was in the middle of the night, and it would be James Earl Jones, and you would just hear, Taryn, go to Africa. That's not how God works. God works naturally through the natural little tiny details of our lives. Sometimes we just need to open our eyes to the world around us to see the opportunities that God has for us to serve, to help, and to make disciples. How many of you know that you don't need a Bible college education or a master's degree, or a doctorate, or anything fancy. You don't even have to be good looking 
to serve God. Open your eyes and look around. What does God need you to do for him in your everyday life? Finally today, seize that opportunity. The final step in any project is doing it. Some of us are professionals when it comes to planning. We can spend weeks and even months deciding on the little details of our lives. We plan out the perfect vacation. Those plans are meaningless until we get into the car or onto the plane. We can plan out uh, to have our neighbors over and even dream about sharing the gospel with them. But nothing's going to happen until you knock on that door. Life often looks good on paper, but when we don't go ahead and seize those opportunities, we'll look back and regret many things. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Upon graduating college and high school and attending dozens of grads over the last few years, uh, I've heard only one thing preached from the podiums. Seize the opportunity. In old age, I'm told the things that we often regret are the things that we neglected to do. So what is it that you need to do? Is today the day you'll actually go ahead and make that step? Is today the day that you'll recognize why you're here? Is today the day that you'll listen for those opportunities, seize the moment, and obey God? Tomorrow's going to be too late, and I highly recommend not putting it off for another second. You need to go out there and be young and reckless for God. Today is that day where you decide to be young and reckless. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for each and every person here and and all those little details in our lives that, that you put there for a reason. Uh, you don't make mistakes in our life, God. I just pray that, that each person here would recognize those little opportunities in front of them to serve you and to, to make disciples. I pray that they would seize them and take that final step and obey you. I pray that we would all be like Esther and find the courage to do that, Lord. Thank you for your presence here today. Amen.